Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And of course, that is Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. I'm Sandra Flack. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I'm grateful to have you with me today. Um, We've had some great episodes on the past couple of months, uh, focusing on Advent throughout the month of December. Uh, Last week, we talked about goal setting for the new year. And it's really been a while since I tackled the topic of FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And I know we have some new listeners and followers. So today, I'd like to share a little bit uh, more about that sort of an introduction to FASD. Uh, I teach a monthly free online intro to FASD. Sometimes we offer it as a lunch and learn. Um, And I'd I'd really like to share a little bit about what is in um, that teaching uh, because it's so important. Why? Why do I talk about FASD so much on this podcast? Well, as a mom of five kids adopted, Uh, two of them diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome and two that probably um, they're probably on the spectrum somewhere. Um, But way back when we adopted them uh, because they're, they're much older. They're some of our older kids. We didn't know anything about FASD. We didn't even really know a whole lot about trauma. We had to learn the hard way. We had to learn kind of that on the job training. Um, So I often share Um, that though my boys were diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, they were six and eight years old, um, there really wasn't any information available or training. Uh, There wasn't any podcasts about it back then. Um, And what information I was able to find online was scary. It was doom and gloom and offered no hope. Um, So we focused on Um, trauma, right? As we began to learn about being trauma-informed, we began to learn about empowered to connect and trust-based relational intervention and all of that. That's what we dove into then. And that did really help um, until it didn't, which is about the time our boys became teenagers, um, you know, and the train was coming off the tracks and we were trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Could it be this thing, this FAS thing that we really don't know that much about. Um, And when I took that deep dive, um, I was really surprised by what I learned and how prevalent FASD is among the adoption and foster care community. Um, So now I am passionate about every adoptive foster and even kinship caregiver being FASD informed and equipped. So I'm gonna give you an introduction to that today. Um, but before we before we kind of dive into that, I'd like you to check out this resource because this resource also um, is vital to this parenting journey. So give a listen to this and we'll be right back. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Okay, 
So I can tell you from personal experience that our support group um, is life-saving and so encouraging. And um, we just get great um, testimonies from our, our community members about how how helpful and supportive this our, our group is. So um, if any of what I talked to you about today resonates with you, you may wanna consider becoming part of that community. Um, in addition to the support group, I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions um, where we can kind of explore much more in depth and kind of tailor um, the conversation to what um, your, your kiddos need, your family needs. Um, and of course we have our um, online workshops and I have a computer here going off on me. Um, so, um, so the online workshops that are coming up, actually, we have a lunch and learn um, intro to FASD that is coming up on Wednesday, January 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And I will be offering it again on Tuesday, February 13th, also at 1 Eastern time. Um, it's a free workshop. It's 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 60 minutes of content, but then I stay on and do Q&A. Um, so you can check that out. It's free. Um, and we're also doing a deep dive. So maybe you've already done the intro. Maybe you already know enough to where you want to go much deeper. Maybe one of your kids has been recently diagnosed. Um, the deep dive is actually 18 hours of content using the FACETS neurobehavioral model, which I am a facilitator of. Um, and it is perfect for every adoptive parent, foster parent, um, kinship caregiver, whether or not you know if your child has been diagnosed uh, or not. Um, it, the deep dive is excellent for that. The, the, the lunch and learn or the intro, and, and which is pretty much what we're going to talk about a little bit today, um, is great not only for parents just learning about this, but also for um grandparents, next door neighbors, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, adult siblings, whoever is interacting with your kiddos and you think that they need to have a better understanding of FASD, um, that this the lunch and learn the intro is um, a great place to start to get them started. Um, it's great for every parent as well. Um, but if you want even more, um, like I said, we do have this deep dive coming up. It's 18 hours worth of content, which I offer throughout six three-hour sessions, which begin on Thursday, February 1st. It'll be Thursday evenings, um, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And you can register for um, any of these workshops uh, on our website. And you would just go to justicefororphansny.org and click on the training tab at the top of the page. And of course, we will have a link in the show notes that it can be um, easy to find. Um, also, always ask, please subscribe to follow this podcast um, on your favorite podcast platform. We are also on YouTube. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you ever think, I'd like to watch that, um, I don't usually watch podcasts, but I'm finding out it's definitely a thing. So we do have a YouTube channel where you can find it and you can watch it. And that's at Justice for Orphans. So I hope that you will check that out. Um, again, subscribe, follow, leave a review. We appreciate all of the above. So now, like I said, I am going to briefly share some of what is in our um, introduction to FASD uh, training that I offer. Um, and again, if any of this resonates with you, feel free to sign up for that lunch and learn for the intro. Um, that way you'll be able to see the slides because it's actually, it's slide deck driven. Um, and that makes it, and I go much deeper into each slide and into the whole teaching more so than what I'll do here today. But I really felt like today I wanted to share some of this because it's been a long time since we really have offered it. Um, and I do have, I did a whole series of episodes, whoops, a whole series of episodes on the, um, primary symptoms of FASD. And they, I started, if you scroll back in our um, library of episodes, I believe they start in October of 2022. Um, and every other week or so, um, I focused on one primary characteristic of FASD. And I have heard from so many listeners um, how 
um, helpful that um, series has been. So um, I encourage you, if again, you're new to this podcast, if you didn't know about those episodes, if what you hear today really resonates with you, I encourage you to go back and listen to the more in-depth version of each one of the primary characteristics, primary symptoms, um, uh, as well as there's there's definitely in-depth trainings that I offer on these topics. So let me just pull up my slide deck for you. And I am going to share this with you. Um, first of all, starting off with um, the definition of what FASC is, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It is a brain-based lifelong physical condition that affects the brain and body of people who were exposed to alcohol in the womb. That's the scientific, current scientific definition. Um, also important to note, there's no safe amount of alcohol to be consumed during a pregnancy. Um, there's no safe type of alcohol. There's no um, safe amount of alcohol. Um, amount, time in a pregnancy or type of alcohol, it doesn't matter. It is toxic to a developing baby. Um, and it's important to note, a lot of women don't even realize that they're pregnant for the first many, many weeks of their pregnancy. So they can be drinking during very crucial, um, those very crucial early developmental um, weeks in a pregnancy. Um, and, and that's so dangerous. And, and a lot of times, this is why we don't know, you know, we, we, there's a lot more, it's much more prevalent than we, than we realize, um, because this doesn't just affect individuals who are who are um, living in poverty or who are addicted to drugs or alcoholics or that kind of thing. It can it's one in twenty, which we're going to get to the statistics here shortly. But one in twenty school age children in the United States have been prenatally exposed, um, but uh, the numbers are much much higher in the population of adoptive and foster and kinship placements. Um, but there's no safe amount or time in a pregnancy or type of alcohol to consume. And that is because alcohol is toxic. It causes cell death in a developing fetus. It also, um, it's called a, a teratogen. It also alters and changes cells. This is at the cellular level. Alcohol consumption during pregnancy literally changes the structure and function of the developing baby's developing brain. And that's so important to understand and to realize that this is a brain thing. Okay, there are um, four diagnoses. So FASD in and of itself is not a diagnosis. It's a spectrum of disorders. And along that spectrum, we have fetal alcohol syndrome, um, which my two boys are both diagnosed with. Um, it's the more extreme version, uh, most impacted, um, includes the facial features, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, there's also partial fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, ARND, which is alcohol-related neurobehavioral disorder, and NDPAE, which is neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal exposure. Um, they are all due to um, a developing baby being exposed to alcohol while in utero, and it's a spectrum, so um, it can barely be noticeable to being extremely noticeable and, and um, disabling. Um, we often refer to FASDs as invisible disabilities. Um, I often think about, um, you know, there's visible disabilities. We know if someone is in a wheelchair or we know if someone is, um, you know, hearing impaired, we could probably tell because maybe they're using sign language, right? Or we know someone, we can kind of tell if they're visually impaired or if they have Down syndrome, right? We can tell these things by looking at a person oftentimes. But when it comes to FASD, it's invisible because typically there are not 
um, outward signs. There are facial features, which we'll look at in a moment, but um, they're ne not necessarily outward signs. The symptoms of this disability are behavioral and they can also very much look like the same symptoms uh, as trauma and other uh, brain-based conditions. So um, keep in mind that this is an invisible disability. You can't necessarily tell someone has it just by looking at them. And that really makes this disability more challenging for the individual because oftentimes they look like their neurotypical peers, like all the other kids, but yet they behave so differently. And then they're often punished um, or in trouble because of their behavior. But when you come to understand the symptoms of FASD, you will realize that the behavior, um, those things that they're getting in trouble for all, oftentimes are really brain related. So we're gonna look at those shortly. Um, FASD is the leading cause of birth defects and developmental and learning disabilities worldwide. Yep, worldwide, believe it or not. Um, and like I mentioned early on, one in 20 school-age children in the United States um, have been prenatally exposed. Most are not diagnosed. Um, and there's also a statistic about 86% of all people drink alcohol in the United States and about 45% of pregnancies are unplanned. And that's where we see a lot of this one in 20 school-age children across the United States because moms are drinking just casually, finding out they're pregnant, um, you know, several weeks into a pregnancy. And depending on, you know, how much they drank or how often they drank, um, it could definitely pose a problem. Um, I know for one of my kiddos that came to live with us, she was a relative. She came to live with us when she was eight years old. Um, her mom was a professional. She had a, a career. She was not married. She was in her thirties. She had another health condition and was actually told she could not uh, conceive children. So when she discovered she was pregnant many, many weeks into the pregnancy, she was elated um, to find out that she was going to have a baby, but um, most likely was drinking socially on the weekends for a good 10 to 12 weeks into this pregnancy. Um, so the damage was done before she even knew there was a baby in her belly. Um, and and um, our daughter's not diagnosed formally. However, um, all of the challenges that we faced all throughout her growing up years and into her young adulthood, um, and then coming to learn all that we did learn about FASD, um, we're pretty confident that um, she was prenatally exposed. So again, it does not have to be, uh, you know, just a child born to an alcoholic or drug addict mom. Um, it can happen to anyone. Um, doesn't have to be an alcoholic. But again, if you're listening to this podcast, this is the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. So you're probably listening because um, you're parenting children from hard places. You're an adoptive parent or a foster parent. Um, and the number of children affected by FASD in that population of kids is quite high. Um, in fact, um, some of the numbers I've seen are like 86% of children with FASD are in the child welfare system are undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Um, these are kiddos who almost always get an ADHD diagnosis um, sometimes they get a RAD diagnosis, PTSD, um, oppositional defiance disorder. Um, they get all of these, the, like the whole alphabet soup. And, and, you know, it may or may not be true, but it could very well all come under the umbrella of an FASD. Um, another number, other numbers I've seen, uh, kids um, more likely to be in the system 17 to 19 times more likely to be in the child welfare system if they have an FASD. Um, and and uh, there was some data available in the state of Miss Minnesota, which um, they have their sort of leaps and bounds beyond most of the other states throughout the United States when it comes to FASD. Um, but their data indicated 41% of children with FASD in the state of Minnesota are in foster care. 
Um, but the long and the short of it is if you are an adoptive or foster parent, you absolutely must understand FASD because it is highly likely that the child in your care, the children in your care, or those who may be coming into your care, um, if you're regular regularly fostering, um, it's very likely that they have been prenatally exposed. There may not be a diagnosis. Most of the time, there's not a diagnosis, but you must understand um, what FASD is because it's likely that you're going to encounter it. And I hear all the time from listeners of this podcast who will reach out to me and say, um, you know, after hearing your podcast, we had a child place with us and we knew right away exactly what was going on and we were able to advocate for um, a diagnosis. So it is very imperative that that um, every parent come to understand this. A um, little bit about facial features. Um, there are some facial features that can be noted that, that really if a child has these facial features or an adult, if a person has these facial features, it is because that they are um, they would get the fetal alcohol syndrome diagnosis. My two boys have these facial features and I'm not going to go over all of them, but the, the most, um, you know, ones that stand out, there's, they often have um, a smaller head circumference, um, an underdeveloped jaw. They tend to have a very thin upper lip. And then there's a groove here, which we call a philtrum, um, they typically have more of a smooth philtrum where we would have that little groove if there's been prenatal exposure um, to the point to where they have an FAS diagnosis, then they would have um, a, a smooth philtrum. There are some other ones. I do have a diagram that I use when I do this training. However, it is very important to point out that only about 10% of people with FASD actually present with the facial features. So that means 90% of individuals prenatally exposed won't even have these facial features. Sadly, doctors diagnosing tend to rely on facial features um, in order to diagnose, which is um, a very archaic method of diagnosing FASD at this point, because like I just said, 90% of people with an FASD do not have the facial features. So doctors are missing 90% of the cases. Um, so that's very, very unfortunate, but it's important to note that they don't have to have, most will not have the facial features associated with prenatal exposure. Um, and, and just to understand how um, slim that is, is um, facial features. In order for the facial features that are um, characteristic of fetal alcohol syndrome, in order for them to be present, um, birth mom would had to have been drinking alcohol between days 15 through 18 of gestation. That little tiny window of time when the facial features are being formed, if alcohol is being consumed, that will alter the facial features. But it's such a tiny window of time. So this is why we, um, there's, it's only 10% who actually do present with the facial features. So that should not be um, criteria for diagnosing overall. Um, but if they do have the facial features, then they, they have more of a, um, they would have an FAS diagnosis. Okay, I'm going to go into primary symptoms of FASD. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I did a whole series of episodes where I took one primary symptom at a time and devoted a whole episode to each primary symptom. So clearly we're not going to go that deep here. I'm just going to touch on them, maybe give an example for each one, but it's important for you to know what they are. Um, <clears throat> and then we can, you know, if you ever take a training, you'll be able to get a more in-depth um, description of each one, but primary symptoms. Um, the first one, dismaturity. Um, this is not the same as immaturity. This isn't a child just behaving younger, you know, not acting their age. This is a child that developmentally and cognitively is much younger than their biological age. Sometimes we just use the, 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 the rule of thumb that they are half their biological age. So if you have a 10-year-old um, 
possibly they are developmentally more like a five-year-old, or if you have a 12-year-old, they're more like a six-year-old or an 18-year-old like I do. And oftentimes developmentally, cognitively, they're more like a nine-year-old. All right. That's not them choosing to act younger. Um, it's really developmentally where they are at. Dismaturity. Um, sensory processing disorder. Um, sensory processing is another primary characteristic. Sensory processing can be anywhere because it's a spectrum. It can be, you know, the child who does not like the tag in the back of their shirt or the feeling of the socks on their feet. They don't like certain textured foods. They may not like um, bright lights or loud noises. Um, it could also be the other extreme where, which one of mine presented um, where they're um, sensory seeking. So there's a lot of crash, bang, boom going on. They crave deep pressure touch. Um, and again, this is a spectrum and it could be a mixture of things. Mine that prefers to have all of his senses stimulated at the same time does not like loud restaurants or a lot of running around in chaos, like little children running around and that kind of thing that really bothers him. So sensory processing issues are very common. Nutrition problems. This could be um, anywhere from a child who doesn't recognize they're hungry to a child that doesn't recognize they're full and they continue to eat um, to um, a child or an individual who's very, um, seems like they're addicted to sugar and like uh, not your typical you know, kid or teenager who likes junk food, but um, consumes or craves vast amount of sugar, sugar, sugary beverages, that kind of thing. Um, we know food problems are quite common with individuals, kiddos coming in from hard places where they may have had, had uh, malnutrition or food deprivation, um, but it also can be related to FASD. Language and communication problems, um, you know, Oftentimes, these kiddos have a hard time reading body language, facial expressions, um, you know, innuendo, certain kinds of humor. Um, they may seem like they're understanding everything that you're telling them. And then if you check for understanding, you may realize they they don't understand what you're saying. One of mine, just a couple of years ago, we had a big conversation about what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. And, you know, he was agreeing with me and, you know, right along in the conversation, everything seemed great. And then something made me stop and ask, do you know what the word appropriate means? And he was like, no, I don't. So checking for understanding. So language and communication, definitely big ones. Slow processing pace is very, very common. Um, and this is, this tends to be with spoken language. So when you're giving a lecture or you're giving several step instructions, if you're giving um, a lot of spoken information, um, they don't catch it. Sometimes it's like they catch every third word. Um, and and this, is, this is the case for, for example, um, if you give your child instructions, I always like to use the example of the kiddo comes home from school and the parent says, okay, uh, bring your backpack to the table because you've got to do some homework. Um, go change your clothes. I'll get you a snack. You can do your homework and then you can go play. The parent goes and gets the snack and comes back. And where is the kiddo? The kiddo is playing. And then the kiddo's in trouble because they were playing and they didn't start their homework. Maybe they didn't even change their clothes yet. Um, they're getting a lecture. They're getting, you know, grounded from video games or whatever it is. And then there's the meltdown. Um, but quite possibly, if there is FASD involved, if there is slow processing pace, this kiddo um, maybe didn't catch all of the list of verbal instructions that the parent gave. Um I find sometimes with my kiddo, if I give even three instructions, the only instruction, the only thing that will get done was the last thing that I said. It was the only thing that they actually caught because their brain was trying to keep up with everything I was saying and only caught the last thing. And in the example that I just gave, the last thing the parent said was, go play. 
And that is what the child was doing, but then was in trouble for doing what they were told. So slow processing pace, um, fascinating, very common, um, important to know. Uh, learning and memory is another primary symptom of FASD. Um, short-term memory can be a challenge, um, even learning challenges. Okay, so those are important things to keep in mind. So, you know, memory can be remembering those steps, can be remembering the rules. Um, I know one of mine knew a certain rule, but during a time of dysregulation, forgot the rule, couldn't remember the rule during a time of dysregulation. Um, so learning and memory, abstract thinking, this would be um, understanding money and time. Um, so ch challenges with abstract thinking, primary symptom of NFASD. Understanding how to count money, the concept of money, time, all right? Maybe you send them in their room and you want them to do something for a certain amount of time. If you don't set a timer, they think in two minutes that they've already done 30 minutes of chores um, because they have a hard time really comprehending time and managing time. Um, executive functioning challenges. Um, this is a huge one because the part of the brain that is often um, affected by prenatal exposure to alcohol is the front of the brain this where the prefrontal cortex is that's where the executive functioning takes place Exec executive functioning we call the boss of the brain um, and i i go a little bit deeper on this um when i do a training but just very briefly executive function brain tasks include organizing planning transitioning from one task to a next, like from playing a game to now it's time to do homework or playing outside and you call them in for dinner, okay? Transitioning from one task to the next, very difficult. Setting goals and then understanding the steps that one has to work towards to meet a goal. Self-regulation, self-inhibition. All right, the kid who maybe doesn't care if there's food on their face, doesn't care if their hair is messed up. I've got I've got a teenager who doesn't care if his shirt is on inside out or backwards, doesn't care, has no concept of I might want to not look like that. People might notice, people might snicker, whatever it is. No no connection to that at all. Um also poor attention span is part of executive function. Um, maintaining that focus. And like I said, mostly these kids all get an F, get a, get an ADHD diagnosis when it could very well be part of the FASD because it affects attention span. Uh, Short-term memory deficits and um, impulse control are all part of executive function. And impulse control is a big one. These are the kids that you're trying to peel off the wall and making sure they're not breaking things and they're you know, you're trying to trying to make sure that you're keeping them safe and everything around them safe um, because you just never know what they're going to do. That's impulse control. And that's actually directed by the executive function part of their brain, which is often vastly impaired by FASD. So that's executive function. I go much deeper there as well. Um, we also like to point out strengths um, because every every person, every individual every child, God has created each and every one of us with strengths. We all have things that we're good at. We all have things we're not so great at, right? Um, our kids, if they have, even if they have trauma, which they all have trauma, if they've been in an adoptive or foster placement um, and trauma impacts, right? We all know that they're in trouble a lot right? There's always these challenges and punishments and, and, you know, they're always getting issued consequences, right? Always seems like they're in trouble. Um, and that's very likely and often is common with kiddos with FASD. Um, they all know that they're not good at stuff, right? But when we can find a strength, when we can really, I always call it mining for gold, looking for those things that they are good at, whether it be an artistic talent or sports, or maybe they're very mechanical or musical or whatever it might be, um, 
figure that out, note that and build upon it and really encourage that gift, that talent so that they can um, feel like they are valuable because they are valuable. Um, but they, they need to have that self-esteem, that reassurance that they are good at something and that they are worthy and, and, and valued and that they can do things right. Um, cause oftentimes these kiddos feel like they can never do anything right. And we know that they have gifts and talents that God has given them and we need to call them out. So when I teach, we, we talk about strengths all the time and building on strengths. So those are the primary symptoms. Again, dismaturity sensory processing, nutrition, language and communication, processing pace, uh, slow processing pace, learning and memory challenges, abstract thinking problems, executive dysfunction, um, and they all have strengths. Those are the primary symptoms. But what happens is these primary symptoms are often not recognized as symptoms to a brain-based condition. They are often most of the time looked at as behavioral issues and caregivers and school administrators and people want to correct them, want to discipline them, want to consequence them or want to do the reward sticker chart, which never works. Um, you know, because we keep setting expectations on these kiddos that if they just try harder, they can do better. Or if they just try harder, they can stop doing those things that they shouldn't be doing that they keep getting in trouble for doing, right? Try harder and everything will be fine, right? So we set expectations on these kiddos, right? Um, that we want them to be able to do, but this is not a behavioral thing. This is a brain thing, right? It's a brain thing. So what happens over time if we continue to set expectations on our kiddos um, that we that we expect things that we expect all kiddos, neurotypical kids, and we don't take into consideration that they have a disability and maybe it's not that they won't behave or that they won't do what they're supposed to do. Maybe they can't meet our expectations. Maybe there's something going on with their brain and how their brain works differently. Um, imagine if you were um, visually impaired and the, the, a teacher or someone asks you to read what's on the whiteboard or the blackboard or a screen at the front of the room and you could not see, you were visually impaired and you couldn't do it. But instead of helping you do it or understanding that you can't do it, the, the teacher or the person at the front of the room just continues to insist, if you try harder, you will be able to see this. You just need to try harder. You're not applying yourself. You're being lazy. You're not even putting an effort into this. You're on purpose not reading this board, right? How would you feel if you were that individual who was visually impaired, but yet someone was insisting that if you just try harder, you would be able to see it? Well, you're not going to be able to see it no matter how hard you try, but you're going to start to feel very frustrated and aggravated and irritated with the person who keeps badgering you to try harder and expecting you to be able to do something that you simply can't do. And when that happens with individuals with an FASD, we begin to see secondary symptoms and secondary symptoms occur when primary symptoms that we just went over are not recognized. They're not recognized. They're not taken into consideration. It's not understood that it's a brain thing. And we just continue to try to force that round peg into the square hole. What happens? These secondary symptoms, which include the individual can become easily fatigued, anxious, fearful. They may self-isolate, uh, become overwhelmed, argumentative, suffer from depression, frustration, they become angry, they have poor self-esteem, they have problems with family relationships and problems in school, right? Oftentimes, it's these secondary symptoms that parents and caregivers are wrestling with and struggling with, and that's when they begin to search for help. Like, what can we do to fix this? 
What can we do? Because my kid is anxious all the time, or they're always argumentative. They're frustrated. They're angry, right? What can we do? How can we fix this? How can we change this? When really the reason why these things are occurring is because their disability is invisible and it's not recognized, it's not understood, and it's not supported. And over time, unfortunately, if we still don't recognize the primary symptoms, the secondary symptoms are going on and they're being punished um, and, and given consequences and they're constantly failing and things are unraveling and it's all of those secondary symptoms. If over time that continues and we have this chronic poor fit, this individual has a disability, it's not recognized, expectations um, are unrealistic, uh, we have a continued breakdown of the situation and it can lead to very sadly tertiary symptoms, right? So again, it's undiagnosed, not understood. All of those primary symptoms are going on. And then because expectations are set that they should be doing the things that they should do and they should be able to stop doing the things that they shouldn't be doing, um, those secondary symptoms develop and it's still not understood. And now you have all of these primary and secondary symptoms. We can begin to see tertiary symptoms, which is just this buildup because of this individual is not understood. And this buildup can lead to criminal involvement. I read an article that, um, I, I read an article that in the state of Minnesota, the average age, a person with an FASD begins to be involved with the criminal justice system is 12 and a half years old, okay? Criminal involvement is a tertiary symptom. Alcohol and or drug use and or addiction, social services involvement, legal system involvement, police are getting called, right, problems, and sadly, even suicide. It's these tertiary symptoms, these dark outcomes, that is all I could find back in the day when I first started looking at FASD when my boys were first diagnosed 15 years ago. These tertiary symptoms do not have to be the outcome. In fact, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're thinking, we're already at secondary symptoms and we're already at some of these tertiary symptoms, they do not have to be the case, right? It doesn't have to get to this. And even if you're sort of here or you're already there, a lot of it can be turned around. It doesn't have to be the outcome. Things, we can we can turn the ship around, um, but what do we have to do? What do we have to do in order to turn the ship around? If you're seeing these primary symptoms, you're into the secondary symptoms, maybe you're even seeing the tertiary symptoms, what do we have to do? Well, the main thing, one of the place where we need to begin is to understand what the brain has to do with it, okay? Like I said, FASD is an invisible brain-based physical disability with behavioral symptoms, right? And we as parents and caregivers and school teachers and the like, we want to fix behaviors, right? We want to issue the consequences. We want to do the sticker chart, right? But we need to take a brain approach, right? A neurobehavioral approach recognizes the source of the behavior. It isn't willful disobedience. It's a brain that works differently. So we have to think brain. We have to ask ourselves when we're dealing with a behavior, what does my child's brain have to do with this? Could my child's brain have something to do with this, okay? We don't often think about our brain because our brain just does what it does all day long and does our thinking for us and we don't have to tell it what to do. Um, but I like to point out and get everybody thinking about their brain. So what did your brain do today? If you stop and think from the time you woke up this morning until the time you started listening to this podcast, Maybe you're on your morning walk and your day has just begun, but I'm pretty sure that 
your brain has already performed many, many tasks that we or you, we don't really often realize. Okay. Um, I can just list a few just to get us started. You've done some decision-making. You had to decide what time to get up. If you were going to shut off that alarm, you had to decide if you were going to take a shower first or go get your coffee first, you had to decide what to wear, right? If you're a mom like me, you probably did some multitasking. Um, I can feed the dog, empty the dishwasher and make the coffee sort of simultaneously. I do a lot of multitasking. We had to remember some things. We had to remember where to find the podcast. We had to remember what our kids needed before they left on the bus. We needed to remember some appointments that we have today. We had to manage time. Maybe you've been out and about and had to manage money. If you drove your kids to school or you've driven in a car anywhere, there's a whole host of brain tasks that went on for that activity. You get the picture. Our brains are constantly planning and organizing and multitasking and remembering and um, making decisions and, and countless things that our brains do. Incidentally, every one of those things that I just mentioned that our brains did for us already today are very difficult tasks for the individual with an FASD to do because of the way their brain has been impacted. So let's think about our kids for a minute, right? I find that a very common expectation that a parent has of a child is to clean their room age appropriately, right? If they're five, we have a certain expectation. If they're 10, we expect a little bit more. If they're 16, we expect a lot more, right? Out of them being able to clean their room. But let's think about it for a second. What does anybody's brain have to do in order to clean a room? Well, we have to be able to plan out the cleaning of the room, right? Where are we gonna start? Do we vacuum the floor first or do we pick up the toys first, right? Does making the bed get included in the cleaning of the room? Does putting away the laundry, right? There's gotta be a plan. We need to know what clean even looks like. And I'm sure that my, my picture of a clean room is vastly different than my kid's picture of a clean room, right? Got to be able to organize dirty clothes go here, clean clothes go there, books go on this shelf. Uh, let's see the socks and underwear go in a drawer and these shirts get hung up on a hanger. There's a lot of organizing that goes into cleaning a room as well as remembering, remembering the steps on how to make a bed, remembering What's involved in cleaning a room? What are those things that I have to do? Where do the socks go? Where do the t-shirts go, right? Got to be able to visualize and know what a clean room looks like. Got to be able to visualize if they have to make the bed, what does a bed made look like? Like, how do I know when the bed is made? What does that look like? There's got to be some visualizing. Making decisions, again, what to do first, what to do next. Is this clean? Is this dirty? Okay. Focusing. Got to be able to focus long enough to get the whole job done. And oftentimes manage sensory, right? For example, if you send your kiddo to their room to clean their room before dinner and you're in the kitchen making some kind of yummy meal and they're hungry and they're in their room cleaning, but they're smelling dinner cooking, they're going to have a hard time focusing on the cleaning because now they're smelling the yummy food, right? So that could be a sensory thing. It's also um, a focus thing. So it's a little bit of both. Some of these things overlap, right? Also got to control impulses because maybe while they're in there cleaning their room, they can see out the window, the neighbor kids are out on the trampoline or their siblings are in the other room playing video games, whatever it is. Uh, you know, a sibling comes into the room or the cat strolls through, whatever it is, there's going to be a distraction that would require some impulse control. Okay. But again, everything I just listed, plan, organize, remember, visualize, make decisions, focus, manage sensory, 
control impulses. Every one of those, actually most of them are executive function related, but every one of those brain tasks are challenging to impossible for a person with an FASD, depending where they are on the spectrum. And not every person with an FASD is gonna have every symptom. That's the other thing. They may have extreme um, gifts and talents in one direction and then have have challenges and, and big gaps in another, right? This is a spectrum. So not every person with an FASD is gonna have all of the same symptoms one may actually be really good in math, even though most of the time people with FASD have a hard time with money and time, right? But they might be really good at that, but yet at the same time cannot remember, have a really hard time remembering where they put their shoes or remembering to bring their homework home from school or remembering to take their bus, their coat with them when they go to get off the bus, things like that, right? So it's, it's, um, it just depends on the individual. It's very individualized, but these symptoms are common symptoms. So what do we do, right? What if, what do we do when we recognize most likely my child may have an FASD or did get a diagnosis and we do want them to be able to clean a room. That's a life skill that's going to follow them throughout their lives. But how can we get them to do that? How will they ever be successful at doing that? Well, we like to talk about accommodations, right? Accommodations are fair um, help and supports that we put into place for a person with this disability. For example, a person who maybe may have a, a spinal cord injury and is in a wheelchair, the wheelchair is an accommodation, right? If we have a kid in a wheelchair because they have a spinal cord injury, um, think about that. Our society actually makes lots of accommodations for people with disabilities who may be in wheelchairs, right? There are, there are wheelchair ramps. There are special parking spots. Curbs are, are eliminated from public parking places. Um, elevators, right? There's lots of different things like that. So if you have a student who's in a wheelchair, they're going to be able to have a special bus with a lift, right? To get them to school. There are, um, there's an elevator, there's special um, bathrooms are accommodated for people with disabilities, right? There's, there's, there's the stall with the, they're bigger and wider and they have the, the bar to hang on to. Um, so if this, if this individual with, with, in the wheelchair with a spinal cord injury goes to PE class, because right, we have to pass PE in order to graduate. There's gonna be some kind of accommodation because they're not gonna be able to run track or necessarily play certain sports, right? There's gonna have to be accommodations to help this individual be successful because we can see and we know they have a disability, they're in a wheelchair, they're not gonna be able to run track. Right. So what do we do? There's accommodations that are put in place. Well, it's only fair and right and just to offer accommodations to people with an invisible disability like FASD. They need some accommodations to help them be successful while allowing their disability to be taken into consideration. So accommodations for a kiddo who we want to, them to clean their room. Well, the first thing I always advise is always take into consideration their developmental age. We talked about dismaturity being a primary symptom of FASD, their, their developmental age. So if you have a 12-year-old, but really developmentally they perform on most levels, like a six-year-old, we need to take that into consideration and set our expectations at what a six-year-old can do, not at what a 12-year-old can do, right? It's not always exactly half, but that's a good place to start. And then you can figure out because sometimes our kids will excel in a certain area and maybe they're gifted musically and they can play an instrument like someone beyond their years. Maybe they play an instrument like they're 25 and been playing for a decade, but yet they can't do 
you know, they have a hard time with math and managing time, or they have a hard time with impulse control or whatever it might be. And, and by, in so many ways, they're much younger with their relationships, with their friendships, right? You can tell, right? If you have a kiddo with dismaturity, you know what I'm talking about, right? So when we're setting expectations, always take developmental age into consideration, meet them where they're at and set the expectations at where their developmental age is, that younger age. Another thing, break it down into simple steps. If you want them to clean their room, and this is something that I have learned with my boys, I ask one task at a time. So I, I typically say, bring out your dirty clothes. That's it. One simple step. Oftentimes, slow processing pace. If I were to give them a whole list of things, make your bed, bring out your clothes, hang up your clean clothes, make sure you vacuum the floor, bring out your, if I'm, if I'm barking off orders like that, they're not going to catch most of them, right? So give one step directions at a time. Uh, you know, and if you, if you, if you think, well, they can handle two, you know, your kiddo, take that into consideration and try it. But oftentimes one direction at a time, one simple step at a time, bring out your dirty clothes is what I often get. I have teenage boys. So you want the dirty clothes to come out. Um, I'll ask also bring out your garbage, bring out your dirty dishes, right? Bring out the dirty dishes is always a popular one. Again, I have teenage boys. There's always dirty dishes in their room bring out the dirty dishes. When that task is complete, sometimes I hand them a garbage bag and say, now fill this with the garbage, right? So one step direction at a time. Um, sometimes a visual chart can help. Um, if you, you can do pictures, you can do, depending on the age of your child and if they can read, you could do a list, right? So uh, I had a parent who took, I knew a parent who took pictures. They cleaned the room for the child first, took a picture of the bed made, the floor empty and clean, the clothes put away in the dresser, like with the drawers open so they could see. Um, this is where all the toys go. So that took pictures of each thing, printed the pictures off. I don't remember if they lettered them or numbered them, but made a poster. So maybe, maybe um, the clean floor and the laundry being put away were steps one and two. Then the parent could, could simply say, okay, today I just need you to do one and two. You don't have to do all five things, just do one and two. And then the child can look at the list and know what one and two are, and then can go do those tasks. Um, one thing that I've learned, because I used to say, I used to say, if your kiddo is not um, a visual learner, this won't work because my one of my boys is not a visual learner. However, I have learned that the visual chart is not going to work unless you teach it. You can't just, this is what I did. I hung it up and just assumed they would look at it and follow it and do it, no problem. I hung one up in the bathroom, hung one up in their bedroom, guess what, never got done. So I assumed, oh, they're not a visual learner. When what I actually found out is you have to teach it. You can't just assume they're gonna look at it and follow it, you have to actually walk them through the steps and teach them how to use the visual chart if you're gonna use one. Some kiddos need one-on-one -on -one support. My younger son, much more impacted. He requires one-on-one -on -one support for most activities. I have another son who he needed some assistance with getting things cleaned in his room um, over the years, but now he's 20 and now he can do it. He needs to be reminded to do it. So maybe it gets done once a month. It gets really scary looking in his room. But when we finally say, okay, um, before you go out to do whatever you're gonna do Saturday, your room has to be cleaned. We have to do the reminders, but he can now do it on his own. Um, but yeah, I have another kiddo who really needs that one-on-one -on -one support. Um, he'll he will need a job coach when he had, which which is a service that he can get through um, because he's he's classified as a person with a disability. Um, he just needs that one-on-one -on -one support in order to stay on task, in order to know what the steps even are. Um, so if you have a kiddo who does better with one-on-one -on -one support, provide it, co-clean. And this is something that we have learned to do. Um, you know, if we want the room clean, then we will go in there. My husband or I will be the one, um, I always pick my husband because he actually likes to do that kind of thing. 
after 35 years of parenting, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't want to spend my Saturday cleaning a teenage boy's room, but my husband likes to do that kind of thing. So we'll call that his strength so he can go for it. Um, but he'll go in and he'll side by side. Okay. Let's put these clothes in the laundry. Let's get under the bed and clean out this date. Let's, let's vacuum. He'll send my son, go get the vacuum. My son will bring in the vacuum. My husband will tell him where to vacuum. So they do it together as a team. So there's some connection being built. There's that body memory is happening because my son is learning how to clean. He just has a support person guiding him through those steps. So he's learning he's doing, but the expectation is not set where he has to do it by himself because he's 18 and he should. The expectation is set at understanding the dismaturity, understanding he needs one-on-one -on -one support, um, understanding that he needs things broken down into smaller steps. Okay. Um, another very important factor is to um, focus on strengths. We talked about that a little bit before. If you have a kiddo who loves music, let them blare the music while they're cleaning. Um, if you have a kiddo who loves games and wants things to be fun and funny, go in there and co-clean and make it a game. Make it fun, right? That way, that kind of thing. Be, be creative, but wherever you can identify their strengths, try to implement their strengths into whatever you're trying to do. And last but not least, but and very importantly, revise your expectations. Understanding that FASD is a brain thing, whether you know if your child has been prenatally exposed or not. I hear from a lot of people who say, well, we heard that there was drugs, but we don't know about alcohol. Um, just assume that if mom was doing drugs, alcohol was being used as well, because alcohol is legal. It's easily easy to access, right? Even, even obstetricians don't ask about alcohol is like they should ask. Um, it's, it's drugs that get asked about, right? So assume if there was drug use, there was most likely alcohol use. Alcohol is actually more harmful than a, to a developing brain. Um, and the harm is longer lasting than if it was just drugs alone. So assume, and if you have no idea if there was alcohol or drugs being used at all, um, if your child that you adopted or are fostering or caring for, um, if you have no idea, um, if any of the primary symptoms are resonating with you, it's, it's likely that they were prenatally exposed. So this is definitely um, information that you need. Um, I always like to end on strengths. For our kiddos, again, God created each and every one of them with unique talents and skills and abilities and strengths. And they may have so many difficult challenges and they can sometimes like be driving us crazy, right? But find the things that they are good at. Maybe your kiddo is super social. Maybe they're funny and like to tell jokes. Maybe they're physically strong. Maybe they're mechanical. Maybe they're good with animals. Uh, one of my kiddos was always really, really good with elderly people, right? She even worked at a nursing home for um, for a very long time. Um, maybe they're they're creative, right? Artistic. Maybe they love to cook. Um, maybe they're super athletic or musical, or maybe they can build or weld. One of my kiddos can do just that, can build things out of wood, can weld. Um, whatever it is, whatever their talent is, identify it and build on it and help them to feel good and feel successful. Um, and, and because that's, they're going to need that moving forward. So um, as I wrap up here, just some resources again, for you to keep in mind, you heard the little commercial about our FASD support group, Hope for the FASD Journey. That is a great group for parents and caregivers, whether or not their kiddo is diagnosed if this sounds like something that you're um, wrestling with on a daily basis with your kiddo, um, this is a great support group because we are all parents raising kids prenatally exposed, and um, it's a great support uh, network for families. Um, we also have the online workshops, like I've mentioned, um, and this podcast and the coaching that I offer as well. Typically with a training, I would end it with a Q&A. This is a podcast, <laughs> so I can't necessarily do the Q&A, um, but you could reach out to me um, if you were interested in, um, if you had questions, if you wanted to know a little bit more, if you wanted to know um, 
you know, how to uh, schedule a training or if you wanted to just some more questions to, to narrow it down a little bit more. I can't diagnose, obviously, um, but again, if any of these symptoms resonate with you, um, you know, you know, if you need more training, um, definitely, you know, if, if you feel like you just described my kid, right, then you want to take advantage of some of this online workshops that we offer, um, a one-on-one -on -one session, um, any of that. Um, so again, if you have questions, if you feel like you do want to reach out, you can reach out to me um, through our website, which is justicefororphansny.org. Um, probably the best way to reach me if you really wanted to interact with me about this, um, you can email me directly. Uh, my email is Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org. And I will make sure there is a link to my email in the show notes so that you can reach out to me super easily. Um, so, and I hope you do because I would love to hear from you. Um, and I thank you for spending your time with me today for listening to the adoption and foster care journey. I certainly hope that you were encouraged. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a review, follow, let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know about this podcast so that they can be encouraged and um, listen as well. You can find us on social media. Uh, Justice for Orphans is on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, I'm there myself too, Sandra Flack. So I hope that you will find and you will follow us. Um, and again, I thank you so much. I'm grateful um, that you joined me for this journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.